What is going on, everyone? Thank you for joining the Family Matters podcast, where we talk about family matters because family matters. And our guest for today is Luke Bourgeois, who specifically is the executive director of strategic partnership at Lamar State College and is also a father of five in which four are adopted. Let me introduce you to my friend, Luke Bourgeois. What's going on, man? Hey, man. I'm, I'm happy to be here. How's life, man? It is going good, man. I'm glad that you were able to join the podcast today. Oh, me too. I was, I've been really looking forward to it. Really excited. Yeah, we've had some good conversations about it, and uh, I'm really excited about this specific podcast, specifically because of what we're going to be discussing. And, you know, you have lived a life full, you know, uh, you know, and I've heard, and we're going to get into that a little bit, but... Um, we're going to be talking a little bit about fostering. You know, that's something that you and your wife have walked through. And, and uh, in fact, as I mentioned, a father of five and four are adopted. Uh, and, yeah. and they're all a family, correct? Or So the, there are three uh, that are a sibling group, one that is a standalone, and then our biologicals. That's right. Well, that is uh, that is a beautiful thing. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. But, um, you know, fostering is something that is one of those things that, you know, you know somebody who fosters, but, you know, whenever you actually to be able to talk about it, there's only so much that the average person knows. But yeah. it's like a whole nother world, if I can say that. I'm not sure. That if that's... is not unfair to say. It is It is completely different. You know, there is the... Uh... There's the Hollywood version of it, and you might watch a movie about it, and 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 you know, and that'll show all the the fuzzy feelings. But there's there's a grind in it as well. There's a lot of paperwork. There is way more paperwork in fostering than you would think. <laughs> that there, there should be, but there there's a lot with uh you know activity reports and incident reports and all the things that you have to do to make sure you're, you're in compliance with the state. But it is you know it is it is worth it. Um, to to really tell you know Belinda and in my story Belinda my wife mm-hmm. it, it you know it's it's more than just the fostering journey because there's reasons and pathways that God set and you you look at your life and you know we have a plan and I know this is so cliche mm-hmm. but like you have a plan with your life and God has something different but if He would have given you the choice. Mm-hmm and said, here's what I got for you, buddy, you would say, no, thank you. <laughs> you know, that's not what I want to do. I don't want to do that. That is for someone else. But he takes you on that plan one yeah. step at a time. And all he asks and all he ever requires is just one more step. Yeah. That's all God ever asks you to take. He never asks you to take 25. He only asks you to take one. Yeah. And so just the next step, the next step. So our journey is we, we got married. Uh, Belinda wanted to have kids right away. You know that that yeah. kind of cramped my style a little yeah, bit. Yeah. You know, I didn't I didn't want to do that. We waited just a little bit. You know, sure. We compromised and did what she wanted, and so that's that's how how marriage goes. And so uh, we we ended up starting to have kids. And you know, uh, family life is very unsanitized. And I, I I joke when I'm when I'm talking to foster parents and foster groups. You know, I always say the same thing. Uh, fostering's rated R, <laughs> you know, it's not rated G, it's rated R, and so, uh, you know, it is unsanitized, rated R. So we are, we were, we started to attempt to have kids, and it did not go the way that we wanted. You know, it wasn't easy. We had uh, a lot of trouble conceiving. We paid a lot of money to try to do it naturally. We, you know, in vitro, uh, all kinds of different things, and it just 
did not work for us. Yeah. Years of trying. Uh, over $50,000 out of pocket over wow. a period of about three years. Basically, wow. all of our savings, everything is going to this. This is our one focus. And I'm just like, you know what? Cool. Whatever God has for us, we're going we're gonna to do that. Let's uh, take a step back. Let's see. My wife, on the other side of that, is absolutely heartbroken. Yeah. You know, she is devastated. This is who she wants to be. Yeah. This is who what she wants to be. And I'm just kind of like, meh. You know, whatever I'll I'll do what whatever's next. I'm in for, and so we we started thinking about fostering. That was the conversation. Let's think about this. Let's let's start to approach you know different things. And we ended up beginning our fostering journey because, and we did it through CPS. Now here here's some of the the minutia of fostering. Some of the details you can go through different organizations. So there's uh, Child Protective Services. You know uh, DFPS if you're in Texas. And that is the the Department of, you know, uh, a family uh, in, in DFPS, yeah, Department of Family and Public Safety, something there like you that. Go. I there can't you remember. Go. So uh, <laughs> it is basically their CPS organization, and they will train you, they will license you, and they're the ones who are your your student your children's caseworkers. Almost said student because like I'm an educator, <laughs> yeah, but you're they're the your car, yeah. they're yeah. your uh, your children's caseworkers. They represent the kids. And we did that, and what they did was a little different than an other organization. By the way, I'm all for CPS and what they do. It's a really hard job, but I do not recommend going through them directly. I recommend getting a third party such as Buckner, Arrow. There's all kinds of great organizations right. out there, and here's the reason why. When you work with CPS directly, you as a family do not have an advocate. Your mm -hmm. children will, but you won't. So if something's out of compliance at your house, Instead of it being, hey, let's let's fix this before your audit, it is an immediate write-up, and now you're out of compliance, and you got to fix it right now. Versus if you worked with a third party, such as Buckner, which is who we eventually worked with, yeah. they're like, hey, I, I noticed your outlet, uh, you know, doesn't have a child lock or child cover on there. Let's go ahead and get that fixed. Do you need some help getting that fixed? Do you need some, you know, some resources here? Here's what we recommend. We have some extra. You know what? I think I've wow. got some extra ones in the car. Let's just put those on right now. Yeah. You know, that's the difference in working with that third party because they're kind of a shield for you. Sure. In between CPS. Because yeah. CPS is still going to come into your house and they still represent the kids. But you've got an extra layer of some help there. Interesting. Definitely recommend doing that if yeah. you're thinking about fostering. Yeah. It's that extra layer. So our first time that we did it, we went through CPS and we're, we're doing our training and we get through it and make some friends along the way different because you will connect with other foster parents who have the same heart as you, same story as you a lot of times. And uh, we're in there, we do that, and I'm just not feeling it, man. Like, yeah. I am personally not in. I'm like, ugh. I don't know. Like, some of these stories that we're hearing about in training, that we're hearing about, like, what to expect. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, uh, have you ever read that book, What to Expect When You're Expecting? They have versions of that. Like, here's what you're going to see in foster care. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to see that. <laughs> you know, I don't, I am not ready for this rated R version of life of like, you know, young kids not understanding the, the parental roles. You know, I want a baby. I don't want to raise a 14-year-old who's been abused for the last seven years of his life. Wow. You know, and those are the stories that you hear. Like, I'm not I'm not equipped, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm not your guy, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, we do this and, and we, we did slate our house for young kids. And I remember the first night they, they give us a call and they're bringing in our, uh, first placement 
and it is a young boy. He is he is five weeks old, and he weighs seven pounds. Wow! So he is tiny. He was and this born, is your very first. Very first. Our our wife's you know my 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 wife and I's very first child. We have okay. no biological children at this point. Very first child. They're coming in. It is about seven thirty at night. We get this call, and this caseworker's coming in, going to bring this kid to us. It's about eight thirty before it happens. Come in. This caseworker. It is her first day on the job. She looks fourteen years old. This caseworker. Yeah. I, I mean, I know she's not. She's she's got, clearly has a college degree. She has this baby in her arms. He is dirty, and you know that milk stuff that they get in under yeah. there because you don't wipe the their in the crevices yeah. and all that. You can smell that, you oh, know. Wow. And and he's he's coming in. You can see he's dirty. He's tiny. He uh, every bottle that she wow. gets out of his bag has mold in the bottom of it. Oh, you know, like no. it is, it is not, uh, it is not awesome. You know, like, and I looked at this kid for the first time, and I I have all these angsty apprehensions and these you know <laughs> and she she is this overwhelmed caseworker is looking around like I gotta do paperwork you know I don't, I don't know what to do and she oh will you will you just hold him for a second so I can get some more stuff and I I take this kid you know and I do my training I'm supporting the head and all that you yeah. know and I take one look at this boy and that is the moment in my life that I became a dad yeah I was his dad at that moment. Yeah. And I looked at him and I said to him right then, nothing bad will ever happen to you again, son. Like, I just, that, it just came over me. It was instant. I was like a, an ogre with a club. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna protect this kid. I'm gonna take care of him. Uh, And I was a dad instantly. We loved that boy. We loved him so much. Uh, He would, uh, he, he had a particular routine. He would get up at around 3 o'clock every morning and want a bottle. Obviously, we couldn't breastfeed uh, because it's a formula baby at this point. And uh, he would start crying. We had the baby monitor. My wife would be like, you know, make that noise. And I'm like, I got him. I'm going in. And I would pop up out of bed. And this was every day. And I would go into his room, and I would fix him a bottle, and I would get him, and we would go sit in my chair, and I would just give him that bottle and rock him to sleep and I would just hold him while we slept for the next two hours yeah. you know after I fed him he was he was my guy I did that every day and I looked wow. forward to that time wow. every day yeah he was with us about four months mm-hmm. and he ended up uh, you know going to live with another family wow. the rights were terminated it was kind of a rare case where parental rights were terminated but the foster family didn't get it he ended up going to what's called a uh, a fictive um, uh, family, meaning he had a relationship with this family Got it. through the biological mind. Right, so right. he ended up going with uh, a pastor in his family. Great family, by That's the way. Amazing. But it did not help me not to be heartbroken. Yeah. You know, it did not help that. Uh, one of the number one questions that we get about fostering is how do you say goodbye? Like, that has to be the hardest part. And let me tell you, it is. I was I was devastated, you know. I was just absolutely devastated with that. It was one of the most significant heartbreaks in my life. And uh, an addendum to the story, in addition to it, is while we took a break from all this in vitro, we did the CPS training. We became a foster family. We've got this baby in our house, crawling around, making baby noises, doing baby things. And in the middle of all that, Guess what happens with Belinda? 
she gets pregnant. Wow. And so here we do, we have this baby who is, uh, you know, being born, and my daughter is going to be born, and they're going to be eight months apart. And I am so excited because I'm going to get to tell all kinds of people at the grocery store, oh, are they twins? No, that's for my ba- first baby mama. That's for my second baby <laughs> mama. You know, and I think uh, I think I'm hilarious, but uh, my wife doesn't. But but it is that that's the story I'm going to get to tell for the rest of my life. So Belinda's pregnant. We've got this this baby, and I am whoo cloud nine. I mean, it's like the greatest day to be a dad. And then he gets taken and given to another family and two weeks later we find out my wife's pregnancy is not viable outside of the womb Mm. she will go to term she will be born and she will never come home from the hospital wow that's what we're told and that is within a two-week period and i go from the highest of highs to the absolute lowest of lows and as a family and and i'm one of those very slow to feel kind of guys i'm like well well i'll deal with that later but right now we've got to do this task so i'm going to go ahead and get on with this task and i'm very and so so action is the name of the game here so i'm just like how do i fix it how do i fix it how do i fix it yeah and when this happens there is nothing that i can do Hmm. i have nothing to offer there is no next step for me i can't go to my wife and say well all we got to do to fix it is i've got nothing Hmm. i have no uh, no idea what to do. Yeah. No idea how to make it better for her. Because I know if I'm feeling, if, I, if I've got big feelings, she's got big feelings. Right. You know, even even more so. And I remember we were cleaning out uh, some of the baby's area, you know, for toys. And there was this little, little tiny desk thing that somebody had given us, you know, and it was just like a, a toy, but it was it was made of real wood. And I remember looking at it, cleaning it, and I remember just losing control for the first time in my life with my emotions running away. And then the next thing I remember, my hands are bloody and there are splinters everywhere. And I have just destroyed this thing with my hands because I am so upset and so mad. And my wife comes in, you know, and she's she's hysterical because I never lose my temper on anything. And she's hysterical. What are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I just destroyed this table. <laughs> I don't even remember doing it. But like it was it was those kinds of moments, you know. Yeah significant pivotal moments in your life that happen. Yeah. So uh, to to make the you know the story uh, speed it up a little bit Alia does come to term. She's with us for about 2 hours. Mm-hmm. Uh and I was holding her when she took her last breath on this mm-hmm. earth. And it was a very significant moment in my life. Yeah. To that just made me want to stop. And so when somebody says to me, how do you say goodbye? I know what that means more than anybody. Yeah. More than anybody, I know what that means to say goodbye. And let me tell you how I answer that now. Somebody was to come to me, hey, I'm thinking about doing fostering, but I think it would be really hard to say goodbye. No one, I don't ever look back and think about how sad I am. And about how that was a mistake. Yeah. I only think about waking up at three in the morning and giving my boy his bottle and rocking him to sleep. Wow. I only think about getting to see my daughter being born. And that two hours that I did get to have with her in yeah. those memories. Yeah. 
I don't think about how, you know, tore up we were afterwards. And we were mm-hmm. tore up. Right. Uh, I can't even begin to describe what that does to your marriage, you know. And people, uh, you know, people are so, um, you know, they want to help so much. Right. And uh, we, and they're so kind and just to, to love on you, especially this church, mm-hmm. you know, we were here. And uh, this church just wrapped their arms around us, and people people wanted to help. But people give terrible advice in moments like this. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, "Let me tell you, my husband and I, we got divorced when we, <laughs> when we miscarried." You know, I'm like, "Why? Well, thank you for that." <laughs> you know, like, that's very helpful. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, and and so we're we're in this. We're we're doing that, but I know what it's like to say sure. goodbye. Sure. And I know, uh, you know, uh, it, to to be, uh, you know cliche a little bit it's exactly like the garth brooks song the dance like you don't look back and and look at all the regret you look at the good stuff that there was yeah and that's really where where you let your heart stay and you're thankful for those moments yeah to know that my daughter lived the best possible life on this earth that she could there was not a second she wasn't loved no one ever spoke to her in anger she was never a disappointment to anyone for her entire life wow that that and that, so wow that's beautiful